Well, everybody, welcome back for another edition of the podcast, and I am truly blessed and thankful to be joined by someone who has been a friend of our family, particularly my wife, for many, many years. Uh, this person is a consummate, amazing professional educator. Uh, we have worked with her in different projects from getting kids to be healthy and understanding about fitness in the gym project that we were in, all the way up to uh, helping donate supplies to kids in Africa. And I'm telling you the insights that you're going to gain from this person who is on the front lines of education for your children and my children. It's, it's truly, truly fascinating. So I can't wait to get into the story of the life and times of our guest, Ashley Nelson. Ashley, thank you so much for taking time to join me on the show today. Oh, thanks for having, I mean, hard to live up to that intro. We might have to end it right here. It's not going to get better than that. Uh, No, listen, I mean every single word of it, and just from the conversations that you and I have had, plus those that I know that you and my wife have had, and and what she shares with me, and some of the stories that you had, I just felt compelled that that needs to get out to the world. So uh, we are really, really blessed to have you, and I want to start out by giving uh, people a little bit of idea how you ended up being a teacher, because that isn't where you started, right? You had a different direction, a different plan in life as you were coming into college. So I'd like to kind of start by telling a little bit about who you are, where you came from, and how you ended up in teaching. Right, yeah, so I grew up always loving math and science, and I always loved school, but uh, math and science were big strengths of mine. And um, so, yeah, I always kind of just assumed that um, I would end up being a doctor, and I I was fascinated by medicine, and um, I also loved, kids and loved working with kids. So my plan was to be a pediatrician. So I went to CU Boulder um, and studied integrative physiology, um, intending to go to med school after. And when I was in college, I um, I got sick, um, what turned out to be rheumatoid arthritis, but I had to take some time off of school. And um, it was just a really good time to kind of evaluate like what am I going to do and at that time I um I started working for some dear family friends of ours um that their mom was going through the late stages of ovarian cancer and so I was helping out with um you know meals and getting their kids different places and tutoring for their their daughters and so it was just this like really awful time but wonderful time of realizing that like medicine was not the field for me and having these conversations with amy um who was the the woman going through um cancer of like you know i think this is a time that you need to look at what you're doing and reevaluate that she really helped me to see that like, you know, I'm looking for the money and the status and that's not, that's not where I should go. So I ended up, um, Amy, Amy passed away, unfortunately, but I stayed with the family for four years and that was through going back to grad school to get my teaching certification and starting my teaching and all of that. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was quite a shift, but what I'm so thankful for. Mm. And so how long have you been teaching now? So I am about to start my 11th year teaching. 
<laughs> a decade of teaching is an amazing thing. And you have focused on the on the little guys, right? Like you, you teach the little ones and kind of get them started. Is that your dream? Is that where things really just kind of settle in in your comfort zone? You know, it, yeah, it's funny. I, I started in third grade and loved it. Um, but after that, this position opened up in a district that I, that I grew up in and that I wanted to teach in. Um, and it's this incredible school that I just, it's kind of like this dream school that I lucked out being able to teach there so early in my career. And it was a kindergarten position and I started there and just loved it. And I still love it. It's, yeah, I, it's being able to teach kids to read each year. It just, that feeling never goes away of like, it's so exciting every time it clicks for a kid. Um, oh. And they're just funny and uh, yeah, I love it. It's so wonderful. But I do think probably any grade I teach, I would love it and find the magic in it too. But yeah, I love the little ones. Oh, uh, well, they love you too. We have heard stories, whether you've told me or Shauna has told me some of the, some of the stories and, and the uh, inspiration that you've had. I, I think, uh, I think it would be good maybe for people to, to hear really the impact teachers make by hearing one of those stories. And, and one that I read about as I was preparing for this show was about a little guy who he just didn't know how to deal with something huge in his life and, and ended up just not even really knowing knowingly he, he you and he just kind of became random uh partners in in his journey do you want to share that or, or some other story that you think was just really Absolutely. really impactful to yeah well so so the story that you're referencing this was my first year teaching and so i was i was incredibly young and incredibly naive um and so it was this this darling sweet gregarious little kid um just as happy as they come and one day the class is going to special to, to computers and all of a sudden he just burst into tears and this is a little third grader um and it was just like he couldn't leave the classroom he was just sobbing and so I stayed back with him and it was it was a few minutes before I could even like get to the bottom of why he was crying so much and um so then he finally said that his uncle had committed suicide and it was just this situation of like him just hysterically sobbing and asking me like why did he do that and trying to make sense of it when you know i had no idea what i don't i don't know why that happened and i certainly didn't know how to explain that to an eight-year-old and so you know, we just sat there on the beanbag chairs and he was crying in my lap. And so um, I just remember saying to him, like, buddy, I don't know why he did that. And, and I don't know if he knows why he did that. But I know that it it had nothing to do with how much he loved you or how loved he felt by you because no one comes across you and doesn't feel your love. Mm. Um and so it was one that we just kept kind of sitting there together. And, you know, after a few minutes, he was just like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go down with the rest of the class. So we walked down and held hands the whole way, which I, I don't know why that stood out to me, but it was just so sweet. 
and then so I didn't remember like I you know I kept of course keeping an eye on him and checking in with him but we didn't have a specific conversation like that wasn't something that he really brought up with the other kids or anything like that um but then at the end of the year the class made me this book um just about their favorite memories and things like that and he wrote in his um you know something about that he remembered that day that I made him feel better when he was so sad and it, it was just very meaningful that that really mm. stands out to me as as a huge learning experience for me and um yeah I'll bet you took that through the through your career to this point and, and have used that and gained incredible insights about kids from you know that to first grade and kindergarten and all the rest that you've done and and it kind of takes me down the path of wondering about teaching in our current circumstances. Ashley, I can't imagine, literally, my, thank God, as far as me being an educator goes, like I'm used to teaching lots of people, but they're adults, they're doctors, and they're, you know, they're staff members and team members. And, and so if I had to teach my kids, I don't know what I would do. I'm not qualified to do that the, near the way that you guys would do that doing that. And I see so many of the people that I know that have school-age children, whether it be high school and, and more so junior high and elementary, where they're still having to make a living. They're trying to find ways to make ends meet in the COVID era here. And now yeah. they're, they're, they're having to figure out home situation and school and try to keep kids on board. But here's the thing. I don't think you guys, as teachers, you didn't have time to create the infrastructure to teach from home the way that you would have if you had had a year to plan for it versus a day, right? So I'm I'm really yeah. interested in your take on that and and how do we get through that, navigate? Yeah, you know it it was really tough. And at first, like I just had so much empathy for these families that everyone, no matter what situation they were in, had. Um, such big like there was just such huge impacts from COVID and life kind of halting um and then to, to yeah continue on with working from home and changing everything and then having to figure out like how am I gonna help teach my kids during all of this um so that was one that as we were setting this up we wanted to be very aware of like how can we really support parents through this um, to the best of our abilities, because certainly it's not like we could come and like truly take the kids off of their hands. Like it was just a really difficult situation. And like you said, we, we truly had two days to, as teachers, um, when we had like, okay, these are the formats that we're going to be using as a district. And what are you going to do with it? Like, here you go like you guys were the experts to it, which I appreciate that they gave us that flexibility to figure out what we would do with it for our classes. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a big task. And it was one that was really, um, I found very invigorating because there was a lot of creativity put into it. But it, it was hard for a lot of families and a lot of kids. Um, one thing I found that worked really well with my class was just building that connection with the families and it helps that I had a lot of those connections already going into the COVID era that I reached out to families and just said like 
let me know like what's working, what's not working. Um, and for a lot of them, it was, it was really helpful when they were like, my kid is not doing well with, you know, we had like daily, we had Google Hangouts. And for some of them, they loved those. So we were able to do a couple of those a day with some kids. For others, they were miserable with that. Like that just was not their thing. And so we were able for those individual kids to figure out other ways for them to kind of show their learning and to, to get the schoolwork done and to just have ways for us to check in to make sure that emotionally and socially that they were still doing okay. Um, so I think that was the biggest thing is like touch base with the teacher and make sure that that we were on the same page and making it right for each kid because that's what we'd be doing in the classroom. It's never a one size fits all. Um, wow. Well, you know, what's interesting to me actually on that note is it's never, and here's what's fascinating to me um, that I, when I've had the chance to either treat teachers, you know, when I was practicing, uh, I would have some teachers that were two years in and some that were two decades in. And it seemed that some of them, just like in any profession, I'm sure, some of them were always engaged. They were always part of the process. Their creativity gene was always being expressed. But others of them, they got so beaten down by between the politics, the lack of pay, the, the growing number of kids in the classroom, the, the, in some cases, the uh, lack of wanting to learn of kids, depending on the school situation, right? And, and pretty soon they were just walking robots. They were just going right. through the motions. But I cannot imagine for the life of me, and I hear your energy and your excitement in just the way you're answering these questions and how it, you appreciated that we're in a concept we're going to get to in a second, but you appreciate the chance to be creative. Do you think that you are the exception or do you think you're the rule of, of teachers now, now that you've been in a decade, you, you're right in that sweet spot, right? Where you know people that have been in it for two going on three and also you know the new ones. Is, is, are teachers on the, on the whole or on the bigger scale, are they looking at this like you are or do you think they're like, holy crap, I have no idea what to do. I had a hard enough time controlling my kids when I had them all, all the time, and it's almost a way for them to, to really not have to engage as much. What are you seeing? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, it's hard to speak for other teachers. In no way was it, I mean, and it was a tough situation. Like, even loving that, the, like, chance to get creative and all of that, it was, that whole COVID time, like I was easily working 80 hour weeks, just getting the filming oh. and all of that. And then doing the actual class time, like it was really tough um, throughout it. And so you were working I more, about, you were putting more time in. Oh my gosh, without a doubt. Oh. Um, and I think about the teachers that, that and like, I, I am fortunate that I, I don't have kids. I don't have a family. And so I was able to, put forth that time into it yeah. so yeah. I think about the, the teachers that then had their kids that they're supporting through their schoolwork and families and all of that that it had to be such a drain on them like so um and I think for myself included for a lot of teachers it was really hard to not feel that connection with the kids because I think for a lot of the teachers and certainly the the really engaged teachers 
Um, that's why we're there is the connection with the kids and the families and the other teachers. So that part was really hard. And I think we worked to, to find that connection with them, but it just wasn't the same. But um, to answer your question about like, am I the exception? Am I the rule? I, I can only speak for, for the school that I, in which I teach that, um, there's so many that are like me that, you know, when I go in on the weekends, the parking lot, there are numerous cars there that they're there on the weekends working, getting ready. And it's certainly not because we have to, or it's that we're getting paid to do that. But I think we're just excited to be there and to like work hard. And a lot of that is our leadership. Like we have a principal that is really positive and really um, makes us excited to be there and we're excited about what we're doing. And then, um, yeah, it's just, we have a lot of really good teachers out there. Oh, that, see, that brings me hope. That makes me so happy because I know that that's how it should be, right? Like even, and yeah. I saw it in, when I was practicing chiropractic that there were docs that were in it to win it, right? Like they wanted to yeah. get every patient feeling great, changing their life. And there were others that they were just like, oh, you know, they're going through the motions because they put their time in and this and that. So it I, I was kind of set up as an unfair question as I'm thinking about it because there's going to be, you know, the rock stars and then the, the people that aren't rock stars in every profession. But hearing you, it's just so unique to me and just so refreshing that I want this, I want this ember that you're creating to spread so that, that teachers, and unfortunately for me, teachers don't get paid. When you look at the, the contract that, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes just signed for $450 million <laughs> over the next decade, you know, doggone chiefs, they compete with the Broncos every year. And I wouldn't even say we're competing with them at this point, <laughs> but, but I want you guys, I want you guys to, with the value that you bring and, and the way that you create these memories in these kids and how they, they run the rest of their lives, you know, I'm pushing for as, as much um, compensation for that as possible. But, but again, that's another show. So right. I do, I do <laughs> want to move into the direction for you on um, teaching. You mentioned something about creativity. There is a book that you referenced as I was doing research that I love. And it's a book by a guy named Daniel Pink and it's called Drive. And in this book, he talks about the three pillars of doing great work or being in flow. And it's basically autonomy, which means that you have a, an authority to do things the way that you wanna do them in order to get things done at the highest level. The next mm -hmm. is mastery, so that when you do things autonomously, you're working towards being a master at that thing. And the third thing, is purpose, the driving why behind autonomy and mastery to get that thing done. You mentioned that when I, when I saw it, I'm like, holy crap, I love that book. I love that concept. Can you speak yeah. to how that works in the teaching side and or the learning side? Absolutely. Well, a big thing with a lot of teach, well, so just taking like Myers-Briggs test or different things like that, um, it's, it's always like whenever I've taken it, it's shown that I've um, I've been driven towards teaching, that that's just a big one that that always pops up. And a big reason for that is autonomy, that I, I like having control over what I'm working on. And like, I love working with other people, but it is nice in the classroom that we do get 
the opportunity to kind of change things up and do things our own way um, based on who's in our class. And granted, you know, we're given a lot of prescriptive curriculum and things like that. But um, the reason that I brought those three ideas into, into what I wrote was because at our school, and I think why it works so well, is because our, our principal really encourages us to do our own thing and like teach to our kids um, instead of just focusing on reading this prescriptive curriculum that we're given. So having that autonomy and being able to really like master what we're teaching um, and encouraging kids to really master what they're doing, um, it kind of drives that purpose and like really gives us the chance to um, to be more motivated to be there and not just feel like we're working on someone else's goal, but like really our school's goal and our goal to like really help these kids be their best and be their own little leaders. So that was a big, a big reason why that came to mind as I was writing this paper that you're referencing. Uh, well, I tell you what, it, it really inspired me because that, that is just such a great, piece of work that in that entire book or however you you consume it okay, was yeah. great so to know that you were thinking along those lines and now to hear that some of your fellow teachers are, are and the principal are along the same way again that it just shows to the the potentially incredible education that our kids can get and and mm -hmm. that leads me to something that I really was fascinated by because it's some it's been something that I've been saying for a long time without being able to put some of the the words or associations with it that you did in in that work that you had done uh, that writing and basically i've always thought that the current education system and this has been validated i think through through time it was made predominantly for a different age right when you when you were supposed to get out of school get a job stay there forever retire get the mm -hmm. gold watch and, and move on with your life and now of course technology has has incredibly morphed everything and how we do everything and so reading writing or arithmetic isn't they're not bad but it's not all the steps that, that people need to survive because there's so much right. variety in in how people are going to contribute to our world when they're out of school right and become great learners etc so when when i'm thinking of education i'm like people aren't really learning about how to conduct their lives they're learning how to write sentences and do this and that. And so your, your autonomy, mastery, and purpose combined with this thing that I read that you called SEL, and I know you didn't make that up, SEL, which is social and emotional learning, mm -hmm. it, it clicked for me where I'm like, oh, check that out. Now someone's talking about things like self-awareness and social acuity where you understand where you are in social situations and responsibility you know, some of the character sides and emotional sides of learning, I would really love for you to share that side of, of how you see teaching and education. Yeah, well, a big thing that, that we as teachers are focusing on now is that a lot of the jobs that we're preparing kids for don't exist yet with how much innovation and everything that's happening. And so as they're coming out of school, um, like we don't know the specifics that they're going to be doing, but we do know that they're going to need these social skills and, and really more of like an EQ or emotional intelligence skills that yes. some Love employers that. say is, is lacking in some people. 
So with the social emotional skills, it's self-awareness, social awareness, responsible decision-making, self-management, and relationship skills. So really it's teaching kids how to work together, how to self-regulate, how to be empathetic, and um, just how to like kind of be responsible citizens and um, and how to like live happy lives. And um, yeah, I, I mean, you look at, different things like mental health and um, with suicide rates and things like that going up so much. It's something that starting really young of teaching kids um, just how to work on happiness too is a really big thing. So, so Ashley, um, let, let me ask you that because you're on a roll right here and I want to ask you something on that note. Yeah. And I think I gathered this from your information, but I, I yeah. really want to drive this home for anybody listening. Am I understanding right that the cell model, the, the social emotional learning model, is designed to be implemented throughout each course as opposed to a course on its own? Like I didn't, I don't know that I interpret it as being okay. Now you're going to seventh period, which is your your SEL period. There's going to be SEL in math, SEL in English, SEL in history. Am I understanding that right? And how in the world do you do that? So it's interesting that you asked that. A lot of the different SEL programs are are just that, that it's a program that is that a district or, or whatever will buy, and it's kind of taught in addition to the different programs. Okay. Um, my thought is that the best way that this is done is when it's woven throughout um, the different curriculums. So, I mean, it, when you're talking about literacy instruction, it lends itself so well to social and emotional learning. When you're talking about, um, like, just thinking about civil rights or when you're talking about, like, advocacy or things like that, where you're learning about different advocates of the past and then you're writing about it and then you're um, tying in social studies and all of this where you can really focus on then talking about, like, self-awareness, social awareness decision-making, all of this different stuff, um, and really making it like a richer curriculum and a richer um, learning experience for these kids where they can really immerse themselves in it. So it's, mm. it's more difficult to do on the teaching end of things, but I think it's more beneficial and it saves more time um, in, in a situation where we certainly need a lot more of that. I, I would agree. And I think that your thought of having, whether they purchase that curriculum on, as a standalone or weave it in or in, I think the more you can get repetitive on that, just like teaching kids how to, the value of saving money, right? You can do that in almost right. every class if you, if you frame it right. And so I absolutely love that. And boy, I would love to, I mean, I guess my mind spin, I would love to work on a project with you at some point in the future on, you know, how do you, how do you create that? Cause here's what I, here's what I think. Um, with the way that school is looking to potentially unfold in the future, I think, and correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong, this, this pandemic is a disruptor of, you know, of magnitude proportions for education mm -hmm. and specifically higher education. I think college 
is going to undergo a morphing where you might see universities going out of business that aren't online be because of how this is all going. But regardless, I think that's going to trickle down. And so if the parents are going to be responsible for doing more of the education and high school kids are going to be doing a lot of their own self-teaching into the future, how do we develop SEL programs that, that even if they don't know they're getting, if, if I as a parent have a fourth grade kid and I've got to put some time into that kid, wow, what if that curriculum had some, some stuff about SEL in it where they were mm -hmm. getting that, right? Like to me, the parents should have a natural role in this, but some parents aren't gifted in SEL themselves. Right. So, they, you know, this would have to be something structured, but, but I think it's a critical piece. The less they're in the classroom, obviously teachers doing it, critical, but having parents be, have, have an ability to do it. It's what teams do, you know, and sports and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Absolutely. So interesting to get your perspective there. Yeah, well, and I think, again, it just so much of it comes down to the connection and um, making connections with families and making connections with those students. Um, that's one of my my biggest goals each year is the first, I, I try to make my first point of contact with families to be a positive one. And so it's like, wow, like, so-and-so does such a great job doing this. And I noticed that they help little Susie do this. Like, just wanted to send you this email to let you know I'm really impressed with how they're doing. Keep up the great work. Whatever. Just so you can kind of build that relationship with families, first off, on a positive note. But also, like, lay the groundwork that I'm not just here teach them reading and writing and math, but like I'm really focused on who they are as a person, the like kind things that they do, how they treat other people. Um, so making those connections right off the bat are really helpful right. and kind of setting up that relationship of like, you know, opening the door for like, if there are things going on or like concerns that you have, I really want to know about it. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that I like to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. It's, it's, it does happen a lot at home. Like that's where they spend a lot of their, their time and where they learn so much of these skills. And so, um, I mean, I'm super fortunate that I, I teach in this community where these families are incredible and like they're so um they're so involved and so open to like suggestions and willing to help and all of that um and I think most of the the people around are are like that that they want what's best for their kids but it's it's really difficult too when like families are stressed and they have a lot going on so um yeah the SEL it's tough it's tough to integrate that outside of schools and inside, inside of school. I, I would imagine in the way that you've spoken about the community, the, the school family, the community that you're in, it would make sense to me if I were just guessing, and I don't know this from anything, but you guys probably as a school have a higher percentage of participation with the parent education experience than mm -hmm. other schools that don't, um, that haven't shared the same feelings or emotions about the process that you have. Uh, their involvement is probably directly correlated to their engagement in the process. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's a very engaged community for sure. 
Um, yeah, they absolutely are. One of the things that comes with that is like oftentimes we have a little bit higher um, student anxiety level just with such an engaged um, overachieving population, which, you know, there's, there are so many positives that come with that. But so that's where the SEL really comes into play too, of like helping students recognize that and find great, like positive ways to cope with that. But yeah, we do have oh. really engaged and really wonderful families. What, Ashley, what a great point you just made, because most people think of SEL, you know, when you have social and emotional learning about these awarenesses of the humanity side of things, they think about it on the people that are struggling, right? Socioeconomically mm -hmm. or, or uh, anxiety wise, but to think that it's at the other end of the spectrum too, when you have those people with high expectations put on them, um, high achievers, that kind of thing. What a, what a fascinating, fascinating thought. So I'm, I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. And by the way, I have, a, I have a tip for you, something that is new to me um, in your engagement process, and maybe you're already doing this. We have a technology, and the one we happen to use here is called Dub, D-U-B-B. -B. But basically, there, there's a bunch of these programs out there where you can just do a quick video from your computer's camera and then okay. attach it onto an email so that you could say, hey, Johnny's mom, you know, Johnny did great at school. They just let you know. And, you know, I know we haven't met and spent much time together, but here, da, 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 da. And then they click on the link and then the video shows up. And so now you're, you know, now you're giving them that same message by email, but with your personality and sparkle and that kind of stuff. So anyway, just an idea for you. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I want to, as we, as we start bringing the, the wheels in on this incredible interview, you've been such a rock star. I got to okay. ask, do you follow um, for, for your own, how do you develop yourself to be a better teacher? I ask my teams all the time that I lead, what are you doing to develop yourself personally and professionally? And what are you doing to develop those who um, you are leading person professionally. So I'll ask you that same question. Ashley, how do you how do you continue to develop as a teacher and what are you doing to develop yourself as a person, as a human? Yeah, oh, that's such a great question. Well, I <laughs> I read a lot. Um and I love reading all sorts of different types of books, like a lot of nonfiction. So a lot of things like what we were talking about with Drive or like different things like Quiet and just learning about different personality types of kids that might be in my class and how I can reach them. Um, so I'm usually, I, I'm really fascinated in, in just learning about different types of people and, and the best way to like really connect to them. Um, I, for me, a lot of times to be a better teacher, I have learned through your lovely wife, Shauna, I need to shut it off at the end of the day. And that's something that I have a really hard time with because I could be up until 11 each night, just thinking about school and thinking about what I want to do. <laughs> and yes. so like just cooling it, doing some yoga, going for a walk, meditating, whatever, because otherwise I just won't stop my mind. Um, for being a better person, um, a lot of it is, is the same. I mean, I'm with my dad. Um, he and I go on on runs together and we we have very similar personalities where we could talk forever and talk about big ideas. 
Um, and, and he's one that like, I really respect that he'll let me know if there's something that he thinks I should be working on. And I really like hearing that. Um, mm. so we can have these really, really good talks about like things that, and it's never big things, but things like, um, you know, recently he told me that being more efficient. Um, is something that efficiency doesn't come natural to me. And so (laughs) that is something where, um, yeah, like just hearing and going through little checklists of like, what are some, some qualities that I can work on? Um, So those are, those are some of the bigger things, but yeah. I love it. Okay. What do you, I'd love to hear from you. Okay. Is that an okay thing to ask? Of course, yeah. This is our this is our time. So you ask me anything you like. Yeah. What I'd would you like to know? know? I want to. What do you do? Because I just feel like you are such a like knowledgeable, great person. What are things you do to like keep improving yourself? Oh uh, well, I number one, thank you. I greatly appreciate that. Um, I am a lifelong learner. I really love to learn, mm-hmm. and so I spend a lot of time in books. And now my new sort of past going on, it's going to be two years or so, um, I've become a podcast freak. So it's what really led to, to this podcast happening where, um, because I started listening to podcasts like John Maxwell, Tony Robbins, um, you know, uh, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, a bunch of different podcasts in a bunch of different genres. And because when I was younger, you know, I started, I would buy all the tape series, right? When it was cassette tapes, because, you know, I'm 52. So there was none of this. So it was all cassettes and, and books. And I just spent tons of time in that. And then, you know, when I was a chiropractor, I always wanted to be the best chiropractor I could be. So I went and got diplomates and sports injuries and certifications in acupuncture and on and on and on. Right. And then as I moved into more leadership and training, then it became really what I really, really, really try to learn from besides those types of things is asking great questions. So when I find someone fascinating, that's why I love podcasts so much, because I can learn yeah. by asking questions. So that, that's been that on, on the professional and on the personal. I just really love um, physical activity. I love training. It's, it's part of my life. Uh, walking the dogs keeps my, it just keeps me out in fresh air and, you know, fly yeah. fishing. And, and that's the kind of stuff personally that it just makes me feel whole. And then time with my amazing family and, and friends. And yeah. So I'm pretty, pretty simple that way. Have you listened to Armchair Expert, that podcast? I have not. I heard of it, though. I did hear of it. In fact, that's so crazy. I believe that that we just got invited as a guest on that podcast because I, oh I literally think I just looked at it the other day. I could see you loving it. Really? I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen yeah, to that. Yeah, I really like it. I listen okay, to so it for those, those of you listening, Armchair Expert, it's, it's Ashley's recommendation. Pick of the week. You podcast, heard it right, here Ashley? first, folks. <laughs> yeah, I love that. What? Let me ask you this: What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given, or um, that you've ever given out that you live your life by? Wow. Do you have a best? Well, I can assure you, the best piece of advice was not given by me. Would be something <laughs> someone told me. I'm not. I mean, probably it would be something along the line. Like I tend to to overthink 
about certain things and so Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was something along the lines of like no one is thinking about it as much as you are like (laughs) you know (laughs) I love that no that's so good that's so good so remember that that's a writer downer people no one's thinking about it as much as you are so let it go so final question Ashley I got to know this if and and by the way at the end if there's some place that people can connect with who you are, what you're doing. If that's something that you're about, let them know how to contact you. But um, what I really would love for you to end on is if someone wants to be a teacher or if you have a message for parents about teachers, can you give any piece of advice or thought or, or, or philosophy on that topic? So if someone wants to be a teacher, I would say do it. If, if you like really love kids, I mean, it it is not an easy job by any means, but it is the most rewarding job, I think. I I mean, I just, it makes me so happy, and I genuinely love doing it every single day. So, yes, if you feel like you would have that passion and like it, do it. Um, When it comes to, like, families and, and kind of giving that, I would just say, just remember like we're all on the same team and we all want what's best for kids. I've never met a teacher who didn't want the best for the kids. So just keep that in mind and like, yeah, work together. But that's be patient with the teachers. And and you know, I would add to that for, for families listening out there. Remember education is our responsibility. If, if your kid is in my presence, I need to be Mm -hmm. acting in some way as a positive influence. The teachers are the same, but the parents are the same. So it's literally, it's a community thing. They always say it takes a village Mm -hmm. to raise a child. And in no more time ever has that been any more true. It's true in all times, but it takes a village. And so parents, make sure that the teachers are knowing that you support them, knowing that you love them and that you care for them the way that they care for your kids and the way teachers like Ashley care for you and reach out to you. So that would be my my parting shot on that. And and Ashley, I just can't tell you what a great time this has been. Like I could talk to you forever and ever, but um, man, the fact that, that you took the time out to join me and, and share a little bit about yourself with the listeners, um, it's truly an honor. So thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And I wish you the best and I hope you have an incredible day. And I know that we'll be, our paths will be crossing again very soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jim. You're very welcome. We'll talk to you soon. Okay.